I'm Carly Fiorina, and this is By Example. On this podcast, we sit down with leaders of all types to explore examples of real leadership and the qualities of all great problem solvers. I think we get really confused about what leadership is. On By Example, we lift up the real leaders, people who are focused on changing the order of things for the better and solving real problems that are right in front of them. Leading by example. Today's guest is someone that everyone thinks is a leader. General Colin Powell has been a leader in war and politics and diplomacy and education in all of the many communities that he has touched. I've known the general for many, many years, and I've been greatly privileged and humbled to know him not only as a humble and courageous leader, but also as a friend. And what I can tell you about General Colin Powell is despite all his many titles and positions, (laughs) he is a man of great character as well as great courage, and yet he manages to stay humble through it all. On this podcast, we talk about his life, what he believes about leadership, and how his upbringing shaped the man that we all know and admire today. Consider this a masterclass in leadership. Hello, and welcome to By Example. I'm Casey Enders, CEO of Carly's nonprofit, Unlocking Potential, and I'm joined by my co-host, friend, colleague, and handsome man in a sweater, Unlocking Potential's Managing Director, Jeffrey Richardson. Hello, Casey. How are you doing this afternoon, Jeffrey? I'm quite well. How are you? I'm very good. That was almost a British accent, which for our (laughs) listeners, uh, in our bloopers and outtakes, you may get at some point, maybe a taste of the podcast we tried to record last week in which we spoke in British accents the whole time. (laughs) Our producer's shaking her head. He says no. You can't hear it. (laughs) Um, You can find it in the dark web. Yeah, that's right. That's where it's going to live. Well, we're very excited today. We've got another awesome interview of Carly's to discuss with you guys. It is with uh, Colin Powell, a leader who both of us deeply admire. And for those of you that don't know much about Colin Powell, I know to some his resume and reputation speak for him. Uh, But a few highlights from his illustrious and long career. He was born and raised in New York City. He's a retired four-star general, served as the National Security Advisor, the Chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff, and the 65th Secretary of State under George W. Bush. And he was actually the first black American to serve in that role. Wow. Accomplishments. He is, yes. When we talk about leadership as accomplishments, not activity, he is certainly a consummate example of that. Yes, yes. I was, I'm very excited for this conversation. One, because, I mean, for me, and I think for many, Colin Powell, um, particularly present day, right, is someone we think of leadership and sort of traditional, solid, sturdy leadership, right? Um, you think of Colin Powell. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and for me, coming from a family with military background, my father served, my brother served. I did Air Force ROTC in college. Um, you know, his his frame of leadership speaks to me for in a foundational way from mm-hmm. both my childhood and my early developmental years coming out of high school and going and going into college. Um, and I think, you know, there's some there there. I think that off, to some degree, there is some sort of foundational principles of leadership that while 
articulate it a little bit differently than Carly talks about them. And I think the way we sort of think about them some ways um, present day here at Unlocking Potential and our framework, but also still very grounded, right? Um, and totally. the same sort of core sort concept core concepts well i'm glad you brought that up because we are super intentional about language i think when we think about leadership part of what we and carly want to do at unlocking potential and across the portfolio of leadership work that she does is redefine leadership and so because that is part of our mission we're super uh, thoughtful and intentional about language and what was so interesting about hearing this conversation is that clearly colin powell and carly use different language uh, to talk about leadership, but really they're talking about the same, to your point, yeah. core concepts. At the base, they really agree that leadership is about serving others, that it's about solving problems, and that it is not about title, position, or power. And I think what's really cool about this conversation is the way that Colin Powell illustrates his experience with real personal stories, frankly, from throughout his uh, his long career. And and I think we, it's a real, I think, treat and treasure that we have an opportunity to hear him in his own words and language speak to that experience and context. So I think without further ado, we'll, we'll listen to Colin and Carly. General Powell, thank you so much My for pleasure. having this conversation with me. Thank you very much, Carly. Delighted to see you again and be with you again. Well, I'm always honored to be in your presence, but I'm particularly honored to be able to call you a friend over many Indeed. years now. Yes. So. yes. so often, people assume that someone with a title is leading, and they equally assume that someone with no title isn't leading. And yet, I so often find the opposite is true, that there are people who have big titles who don't lead, and then there are people who don't have any titles at all who actually are leading. I have seen this over and over. I have seen people who have been in corporate life for decades and think they're the greatest leaders anyone has ever seen. And then when they really get to the top position, they really don't know what they're doing. Yeah. They've been counting on others to carry the burden. And you have to grow over time. You have to get better and better at leading as you move up the ranks. That was expected of me. And the way I often describe it is a young lieutenant with my 40 soldiers. Just focus on those 40 soldiers. Don't worry about where you're going next or where you're going to end up in life. Your job is these 40 young men that you may have to take in battle. But then as you advance from second lieutenant to first lieutenant to captain, you have more people to lead and more followers who are looking towards you. And you have to adjust. You have to grow with them. And then in the case of the military, when you get about 10 or 15 years in, they start sending you to schools where you learn not only about your 40 soldiers but 200 soldiers and then what is outside that world that you have learned to live in as a soldier. When I became a, a field grade officer, as we say, a major or lieutenant colonel, they expected me to know about politics. They expected me to know about economics. They expected me to know about public relations. Only when I understood that, but never forgot that I'm leading soldiers, that I became more valuable to the organization and the institution. Uh, and they kept advancing me. But no matter how far they advanced me, I could tell you to this day, Carly, the, the techniques I used with those 40 soldiers, I used with the State Department, I used at the National Security Council, I used as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff responsible for something like 4 million people. Because it's just human. Yes. It's the way humans deal with each other, how they relate to each other. 
their, their, their fears, their strengths, their weaknesses, their anxieties. Everybody has those. And I used all of these stories that I have uh, in my own life and, and that I've written about to illustrate these points. Uh, be nice. You know, one of, the, one of my favorite stories, quickly, is that uh, when I was Secretary of State, I used to get bored occasionally. <laughs> and I would escape from my office and go down into the garage and um, wander around the garage to see how they got all the cars in every morning. And the only way they could do it is by stacking. You stack- had to be really bored to go down to the garage. <laughs> well, Let I me love just cars. say. I love cars, Carly. <laughs> That's true. You do love cars. You and got a hot people. one. Yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, so the only way they got them in was to stack them, one, two, and three. And two and three couldn't leave until one left in the evening. And it was run by uh, immigrants, uh, just above minimum wage immigrants. So I'm wandering around down there. They're all contract employees. And they finally spot me. And they come over and said, uh, Mr. Secretary, are you lost? Can we help you get back upstairs? I said, No. I want to see how you guys do it, and I wanted to meet you guys. You wanted to meet us? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Um, is it nice down here? Is it too hot, too cold? Is there carb- too much carbon monoxide? Is there anything I can do? No, Mr. Secretary, but thank you. We're fine. I said, tell me, how do you decide every morning when people come in, who's going to be number one, who's going to be number two, and who's number three? And they smile and kind of look at each other, and then one guy finally says, Mr. Secretary, it kind of goes like this. If when you come in in the morning, you stop by us, you lower your window and you look out and you say, good morning, how are you? You're number one. <laughs> that's, that's really all there is to yeah. it. Yep. Because at that moment, two people are talking to each other. The person inside the car is a senior person in the organization getting a parking space, an assistant secretary, a deputy assistant secretary, and the person outside the car is just an immigrant. And they both have fears, anxieties, dreams, and hopes. The person inside the car can help the person outside the car rise up. But the person inside the car can't get their job done unless they're parked in the proper place by the guy outside. We're, both, we're all humans. That's right. And we're we have all to, we have to so see each so other as what we are. The principles are all the yeah, same. Yeah, the principles are the same at whatever level. And so I, oh, I always used to work hard to make sure I understood what was going on in the garage of every organization that I've been a part of. Because they're the ones who, who, who are getting their job done. Yep. It's and always when, the case. Yeah. And when it's I tell when I case. tell this story, I, I then went back to my, my staff meeting the next morning with all these assistant secretaries. I have about 40 every morning. I have morning meeting every day uh, just to get started. I call them morning prayers. Um, and I told them the story. And I said, remember, that's who we rely on. Don't ever think there's anything minimal about these people or that they're not equal to us. They are. They are equal to us as human beings, equal to us as employees of this department. And I want them all to be treated that way. And the day they're not, somebody's going to be in trouble. Well, and it's such a wonderful story, and it illustrates in yet another way. We get so fixated on people's title, their position, their fame, their wealth. And the truth is, none of those things define them unless they let them define them. And some people do. You know, they think, I'm different, I'm better, because I have a big title. And all the titles that you've held have never defined your leadership. You have. And so let's unpack what all that, what leadership actually is. You've said, for example, that you spend enormous amounts of time focused on the followers, focused on the team that you're building, on those that you're leading. 
talk to me a little bit about, I'm going to use another word that I think in so many people's minds defines you. Certainly it does in my mind, but I think I'm not at all unique. When I think of Colin Powell, there are two words that come to mind, leader, character, character. Character is a very old-fashioned word. We don't use it very much anymore, and I think we don't see it as much as we need to sometimes. But talk about character. Character is how you behave and what image you are presenting to the followers. And in the military, this was considered a very important attribute for any leader to have. Uh, do, you, do you fix your uniform every morning as well as the soldiers that are working for you? Are you competent? Are you confident in your own ability so that your soldiers will believe in you? And do you behave in a way that is consistent with the expectations of the Army? And all of that sort of builds into character. And do you have, do you have an understanding that you are the leader, but that doesn't mean you can take advantage of that position uh, with your followers or with anybody else? Uh, there's a, something I often say is that, you know, I want, I want my, my followers to know that we have a relationship, but I'm still the leader and they're not. Don't, don't mistake uh, friendship for intimacy with respect to your followers. Uh, it's important to create that kind of impression. But I think the first thing you have to do with any group of human beings, if you want them to be your followers, you got to make sure they know what, you're follow what they're following for. What's the purpose of our organization? Here, a quick, quick story on that. Uh, I saw a video once about the Empire State Building and uh, all that goes on there and how wonderful the building it is. And they took us up to the executive level of the, of the building in, in this uh, uh, video. But at the very end, they went into the ground floor basement, sub-basement. Uh, and there was this stack of trash bags from all the stuff that had come out of the building that day. And standing in front of this monstrous, uh, monstrous pile of black garbage bags were five guys in, in, in uniforms who obviously the guys are going to take it out. And the interviewer said to them, well, my goodness, uh, and, and what's your job? As if it wasn't obvious what their job was. But the guy said to the interviewer, our job is to make sure when people come here tomorrow from all around the world, this building shines. That's purpose. Yes. Mission is empty these trash bags and get them out of here. But you, I always try to take my followers up to a, a higher level. Uh, and that higher level I call purpose. It's got to be more than just mission. It's got to be more than something that's on a you know, chart somewhere. It's got to be something that will touch them inside. And you, you use the term, uh, the military was very focused on the image that you presented. But it's more than image, right? Because people, if it's not real, then people don't believe the purpose. If and the, that's where character yeah, if the, comes if in, If the I image think. reflects who you really are. Yes, if the image reflects who you are, then, then people see then character. Then it really works. Yeah. That's right. But that's if right. the image is just for image, and but you see, you can't fool soldiers. I can fool a fellow general. I can't fool a private. Well, you may be for a while. <laughs> who was it who said you could fool some of the people all the time and yeah, all of the people yeah, some of the yeah, time, but not all well, the people well all known, the time? Well known. But at the same time, you don't want to try to fool people. Yeah. Uh, but I've seen a lot of leaders, as I have gone through the ranks, who felt they could get by with image alone, 
and uh, fool their superiors as well as the troops. But now, don't they you think fool our- superiors for a while, but you can't fool you can't fool the guys down on the line whether it's a a factory or in a a bunch of cubicles, they know what ground truth is. And if their leader does not reflect that ground truth, then they're not going to have a very effective organization. Don't you think our culture celebrates image over character? I certainly do. I I think, I mean, we have young people who curate their lives. Uh, I, I think we celebrate all the time the image, the um, illusion of something. I mean, gosh, famous people are all image and illusion. I think that is true, and it has really become more true in the last 20 or 30 years. Yes, exactly. And because that's why character is so important. You and important. I have been in, in our, our professional lives over time with, uh, I call it the celebrification of American society. Yes. Uh, you got to be famous or you're gotta not. Be famous. You got to be famous yeah. or rich or you have yeah. a big title. Yeah. You have a big title. And somehow we forget these human things. Exactly. And uh, it's affecting our politics to a great extent, I think, because people just try to demonstrate their celebrity value as opposed to their real value to the organization. Oh, don't they say politics is downstream of culture? So if our culture celebrates image, fame, controversy, wealth, then politics follows it. And so all the way back to this old-fashioned word, character. One of the things you say, and I think this is a definition of character, you say sometimes when you have to piss people off, sometimes you have to make a decision that pisses people off or that people don't like. Isn't that part of character also? Of course it is. You're, You're not there to be a nice guy. You're there to lead them. If you can also be a nice guy, fine. And in my own career, the the pattern I established over the years was, uh, come on, we have a problem. Tell me what you think. And I want every one of you to tell me what you think and believe. Don't worry about what I think and believe. I want to hear from you. You're my staff. You're my experts. And if you don't tell me ground truth that you see it, you're not serving me well. Even as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, which is a very prominent position, whenever I had a meeting, I always did it at a little round table. And I never wore my uniform coat with all the ribbons on it. I put on a little woolly pulley sweater or something <laughs> so that we all looked the same, whether it was a captain or a general. And I have to hear what you believe. And uh, now, after I've heard everything you think I should know, I will make a decision. You may not agree with that decision. That's okay. You've done your job. You've told me what you think. And as soon as we all walk out that door, we all believe in what I have decided. Well, you know, it's interesting because, uh, again, there's so much in that. I sometimes say the purpose of leadership is problem solving, actually. I Leaders say it all the time. Yep. solve problems. Yep. And uh, in that way, a leader is very different than a manager. A manager will do the best they can with all the problems lying around, but they don't actually challenge the status quo. And that's the only way you get a problem solved. Exactly. The best manager is somebody who can get 100% of the design of an organization accomplished. A leader is somebody who takes up to 120%. There you go. And it, and it really makes a difference. And I've, I've seen this. I've had uh, commanders work for me who were perfectly adequate, perfectly competent, but they didn't inspire their troops. They did not get that extra 20% that you could get out of a group of human beings by inspiring them, by showing them character, by showing them professionalism, and above all, by inspiring them. 
That's that's what makes the difference. And I think that character is built in difficult times, mm-hmm. actually more rapidly than in easy yeah. times. Yeah. And I also think that leaders so often are made when faced with a problem because it's a problem they have to solve. They have to get more out of the circumstances than perhaps others have. That's what leadership is about. Exactly. So talk about a problem that you encountered, not when you were famous and secretary of state, but when you were unknown, maybe before you realized how much of a leader you actually were. Talk about a problem that you decided you could solve and you put yourself and others around you, followers, to the business of solving it. Let me say that uh, before I get to that specifically, uh, something occurs to me and I use it all the time. And that is, uh, you, you know you're no longer leading if your desk is clear, nobody's coming in to see you, and you're just sitting there thinking yeah. you're in charge. No one's bringing you a problem. <laughs> the, the day nobody is bringing you a problem is for one of two reasons. One, they don't think you can solve it. Or worse, they don't think you care. The day that happens, you're no longer leading. You just think you are. Yep. You're just sitting there you know, playing toys with yourself. Well, and I think there are a lot of people who actually would rather be in charge than solve problems. Yeah. I think there are a lot of people who um, want the image of leadership but not the tough reality of mm-hmm. leadership. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Leadership's hard. No, there have been several times but in my But it starts with a problem. It starts with a problem. And there have been a number of occasions in my life and career where uh, I thought that my boss was not doing the right thing. And that person was not hearing from others that he might be doing something that's not proper or not right or the wrong answer. And I always felt it was my obligation to tell that leader that something was not going right and to be candid with him. You can do it privately and still be candid. And on a couple of occasions, I paid a price for it. Uh, But that's all right. It's a price I have to pay or else I'm not leading or else I'm not faithful to my my code. I'm not faithful to the, the officer above me. And even as a junior officer, I learned that you'd better do what you think is right. And if the problem is tough, then you have to take it on. Analyze it. Find out what's wrong. Find out who made the mistake. Fix it. And then go on. But do not walk past it. Do not pretend it's not there. And don't wait for somebody else to handle it. It's your job. Yeah. And so you confronted problems all along the way, even when perhaps there was personal cost to you. Yeah. Oh, there have been two of those, too. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Uh, But, you know, the the military, in the the very beginning of my career, used to to simplify this with nice little expressions that you'd have shouted at you. Uh, Lieutenant Powell, don't stand there with your finger in your ear and your brain in Alabama. Do something. There was a bias to action, a bias to do something. Don't ignore a problem. Find it, fix it, and then move on. Don't avoid a problem. Uh, and check small things. Uh, don't walk past a problem. A little simple one, you know. If a soldier walks by you and doesn't salute, well, okay, maybe he was tired, maybe this, maybe that. Stop him. Stop him. You may be a brand-new second lieutenant, and this might be a soldier or a sergeant who's been in the Army for 30 years. doesn't make any difference. He didn't salute you. And he knows that if he gets away with that, he has less respect for the lieutenant. So what you have to do is stop and tell him, you didn't salute me. It's a sign of respect between two people. I expect that from you. 
uh, and you have corrected that. The sergeant walks away, not mad, but with greater respect for the leader. Yeah. He dared he dared to correct me. Well, and maybe greater respect for the institution. So let's talk about the institution for a moment, because you are a humble man. People are surprised by that, but you are. In all of my dealings with you, uh, humility is another word that no, comes that's forward. A lot, a lot to be humble about. Well, <laughs> no, you don't, but that's the point. But you always give so much credit for your leadership, for your career to the military. The military remains one of the most respected institutions in America, but it's not a perfect institution. No. And not everyone in the military is a leader as you are. And so it is an institution also where things go wrong, where people have abused their positions. I bring it up in this context to say that there's no question you learned incredibly valuable lessons, but there's also no question that there are fundamentally human aspects of leadership which you learned and demonstrated and have stayed true to for your entire life, and not everyone chooses that path, not in the military, not elsewhere. Yeah. I've gone through life thinking that I can learn something from everybody. I've gone through life thinking that I'm really no better than anyone else. I've just had more opportunities and perhaps more mentors pushing me along. Or different experiences. Or I worked harder than somebody else. Yeah. But I've never looked down on people. You can't be a good leader if you're not prepared both to pat people on the back when they've done something well and to share the credit. But you also have to realize when something's not going right and somebody's not getting the job done, it is your responsibility as a leader to correct that person or to get them out of the organization. And what I have found is every time I've faced that and had to do it and got somebody out of the organization, the organization's been waiting for me to do it. Yes, people, as you say, people yeah. always know what's going on. They, they may know not talk from, about what's going yeah, on, but yeah, they know what's they know going it. on. They know it. <laughs> and they may not say a word. They may not want to say a word. Yeah. But they know what's wrong, and they're waiting for a leader to do something about it. And a leader who won't do something about it is losing respect and is not as effective as that person could be. Well, but I've seen so many instances, right, they're not solving the problem. They're not solving the problem. They, they don't even want to see the problem. Yes. I've been faced with some folks like that who just want to ignore the problem. But you, you, you can't ignore it if you're going to be a leader. Exactly. And so um, you can have, a person can have enormous position and title and not lead because they're not solving problems, because they don't treat others with respect because they don't have courage and character and the ability to collaborate and form a team. All of these things are true, but I think sometimes the reason I wanted you so much uh, to have this conversation with me for this podcast, which we call By Example, I think people get very confused about leadership and they think it's all kinds of things that it isn't. It isn't title. It isn't position. It isn't fame. It isn't ego. It isn't controversy. It's actually none of those things. It's problem solving and character and the courage to do the right thing when it's yeah. easier not to do anything. <laughs> it's, it's setting the course. What is it we're here to do? We're a group of human beings. What is it we're here to do and do well? And I, the leader, am going to help all of us achieve that goal, that purpose, whatever you want to call it. And that's step one. 
Uh, I have been, I've never been in a unit that wasn't trying to achieve the highest standards. I've always insisted on that. You know, guys, don't you want to do better? Come on, let's go. Uh, we can run four miles in 15 minutes. Let's make it four miles in 14 minutes. Well, the truth is, it's always stressing. Them. Easy goals are not. You and don't not get it. much satisfaction no. out of achieving and, and, and them. First of all, I've never never been in a unit where the troops didn't want to be the best unit. But I have seen some units where nobody really cared about that, and they were they were mediocre. Hmm. They were mediocre. We once had to test two tank battalions with how many bullets, shells they needed for training every year. And we wanted to reduce the cost of that. So we started to introduce uh, simulators. Uh, and we were mixing the amount of bullets you got, the shells you got, and the number of hours you spent in the simulator to see which was the best for the training. And these two battalion commanders went after it. And no matter what we did, the same guy kept winning. No matter, no matter how we changed it, he kept winning. And what, the analysts couldn't figure that out. I said, I'll tell you what it is. It's him. It has nothing to do him with the number of shells. Him and his organization. It's what he's done to his organizations. I could just see him every night sitting with his team saying, hey, guys, tomorrow they're going to try to fool us by giving us more of this or more of that. Doesn't make any difference. We're going to beat them. And it, it's not universally true, but that's the attitude you have to take if you want to motivate and inspire a group of soldiers to believe in you and to believe in the organization, but more importantly, to believe in what they're doing. Yes, and to believe in themselves, and that they can achieve a lot, that they can achieve a lot. You know, um, in my experience, there are organizations, we were talking about everybody knows, you know, everyone knows. You. In some organizations, everyone knows, but no one will say no one will talk about it. And in my experience, those are some of the times when it's so critical that a leader create an environment where people actually will talk about the unmentionables so that you can solve it and move on. Have you had an experience like that? I'm sure you have. Is there a story you could share with us? Because there, there are so many organizations where everyone knows what's getting in the way but no one will deal with it, no one will tackle it, no one will talk about it because it's just too scary or hard or someone's going to get upset. I've always tried to create an environment where I encourage people to tell me what they think and whether it's good or bad. But I have to do more than just sit in the office and wait for people to come tell me that. So in every position I've had from State Department back down to being a young lieutenant, I walk around the organization and I don't have anybody with me. I'm just walking around the organization. Yeah, you walk into the garage. <laughs> I walked in the garage. But when I was a brigade commander in the 101st Airborne Division, I'd walk through the area every afternoon when I had some time. Uh, and I never followed the same path. But then on Thursdays, I would follow the same path as every other Thursday at about the same time. Why? Because I wanted the soldiers to know the colonel would be passing by here about 1 o'clock on Thursday we better tell them about, you know, the, the, the furnace isn't working. We're freezing in here. And the staff's not going to tell you that. But the soldiers will. Hey, sir. <laughs> you know, And I would go back to my office with these little vignettes and anecdotes I've picked up. And my staff was always uneasy about what I bring back. <laughs> but what I told them is, look, understand my approach. If I'm told something by one of the line or one of the soldiers, I'm going to believe them before I'm going to believe you. 
and that doesn't make them happy. But what it ends up doing is they know that I'm going to come back with all this stuff. So they work harder. The staff starts talking to the line saying, hey, look, you got, you got any problems that the, the colonel's going to find out about? Tell us about it. We'll try to solve it. And I convince the staff, you're not working for me. You're working for them. Well, you know, it's interesting because one of the most um, dangerous things for a leader, particularly a leader who is high up in a hierarchy, is to become isolated from what's really going on. Easy to do. Yes. And so you, I, but you've created techniques over time that prevent you from ever becoming isolated. And they have to be real techniques. Yes, they just can't they're be, not, I dropped down and had lunch image. with somebody last no, week. It's not a brown bag for yeah, 30 minutes. Yeah, it's something yeah. where you actually find. So what you're saying is your technique as a leader to make sure that there weren't things not getting talked about that were really an issue is to make sure everything got talked about to you preferably. Exactly. So I want to um, switch gears a little bit as, as we bring this fascinating conversation uh, towards the close. I want to go back to your growing up in the Bronx. So here you are now, this amazing leader who has accomplished so much, inspired so many, exemplifies all the things that I think most people, when they think about it, think are leaders. You're courageous, you have character, you collaborate well with others. You... The other thing, however, I think, is that leaders have to see possibilities in circumstances, in people. Who saw possibilities in you? Until I went to college and joined ROTC, not many people. <laughs> because I was a straight C student going all the way through public school, up through high school, and through college for that matter. But it was when I saw ROTC in college, Reserve Officer Training Corps, uh, people now started to come into my life and point out to me certain abilities that I had that would make me a good leader. But until then, I was just a nice drifting kid. But I was blessed with a family that was tight, with the people who worked hard, my immigrant parents and my immigrant relatives. And I was raised in a most diverse neighborhood in the South Bronx where we all had to get along. We were Jews, we were Christians, we were... You had to you learn how to collaborate. It. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, and I went to a public school system. Um, one of the things I discovered when I was writing my first book 40 years after I left school was a guidance counselor's note that was written about me when I was in junior high school, getting ready to go to high school. My mother, of course, told me to apply to the elite high schools in New York, Bronx High School of Science or Stuyvesant. And the guidance counselor wrote in his guidance counselor slip, young Powell wishes to go to Bronx High School of Science or Stuyvesant. We recommend against it. They wouldn't even let me apply because they knew who I was and what I was at that point. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I never would have been successful if I hadn't had that that long run of, of medio mediocrity before somebody realized, hey, this guy could be a leader. And so when the, when the ROTC officer started, or officers started pointing things out to you, what did they point out? Um, I had more intelligence than I realized. 
Mm-hmm. I've gotten a good education. They could school. see things in you you yeah, didn't see. Yeah, they could see things. And they saw how I behaved with the other cadets on the drill floor. Mm. Um, I loved drilling. I loved running trick drills and regular drill meetings. And, and they saw that there was leadership in that. They, officers, these officers, about three of them, realized that, hey, this, this kid has some potential. And they worked on it. And they made sure they kept my nose to the grindstone. They make, made sure that I got straight A's in ROTC because they wouldn't accept anything less. And I could no longer be a comfortable C student. And so I realized, hey, this is what I'm good at. And therefore, once you find that which you're good at, you've got to give it all. You've got to apply everything to it. And so those officers, they saw potential in you. Those officers were leaders. They, they yeah. unlocked the potential yeah. of Colin Powell, and the world is a better yeah. place for it. It was a colonel, a lieutenant colonel, and two sergeants, the four of them. They all saw things in me that I had not seen. People, and they made sure you realized that potential. They made sure I realized it. And they, 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 they developed what they saw, and it allowed me to develop it. I uh, sometimes say that the highest calling of a leader is to unlock potential in yeah, others. Yeah. And they did in you, and you have gone on to do the same for others. Very often I've gotten the question, in, after I became chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, I'll be over in some foreign country, and senior leaders will come up to me and say, you know, were you a young kid growing up in the South Bronx? Did, did you dream you could become chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff? And I kind of laugh and say, yeah, there I was. I guess I was about 10 years old. I was standing on the corner of 163rd Street and Kelly Street, 163rd and Kelly Street. And I said to myself, so if you're going to grow up and become chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in the Armed Forces of the United States. And they all laugh, and I laugh with them. I said, you got to remember, I was from an immigrant family, a black kid. I didn't go to West Point. I couldn't go to any of the military schools in the South because I was black. And so I took advantage of the one opportunity I had, and that was City College of New York and ROTC. And that group of mentors, leaders in CCNY saw something in me that I didn't know was there, and they developed it. And from what they said to me and did for me, I took that and ran with it. But people often say, um, well, was your ambition to become a general? The answer is no, my ambition was to become a good soldier. And satisfaction for me was not becoming general or colonel or anything else. Satisfaction for me was every night going home thought I'd done my best. And what I tell so many, many young people, it's not to be the best that's important. It's to do your best that's important. So much in that. Last question, if I may. I frequently am reminded that people who have had to overcome um, hardships of some kind Maybe that hardship is a lowered expectation. You were talking about how you grew up. You didn't go to West Point. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. I would argue all those things you went through until someone discovered the capabilities you had to lead actually helped you be a better of leader course. later. No so talk a little it. bit about that. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, I, as a young man, about 17 or 18 years old, I was working in the Pepsi-Cola plant in New York. I was mopping floors with all the other black porters. That's what we did. It was a summer job. But at the end of the summer, the foreman at this bottling plant came up to me and said, would you like to come back again next year? You did a good job this year. I said, yes, sir, but I don't want to mop floors anymore. He said, we'll put put you on the bottling machine. 
Um, and uh, I integrated the bottling machine at the Pepsi-Cola plant in New York City. The point is, what I tell kids everywhere, do your best wherever you are because somebody's watching. That's right. Somebody's watching you. You may not know it, but they're watching you. Are you dedicated? Do you show the character that's needed for something higher? And can I count on you to do well when we move you up or we change your job? Do you do the tough stuff also? Do you perform well when you're doing something you don't want to do, you don't like doing? If the answer is yes, somebody's watching, and they'll take that into account. It's happened to me a number of times uh, in, in my career, uh, and I've always tried to do my best because that's what the Army was paying me for, the government was paying me for, and more importantly, that's what gave me the greatest satisfaction. And, of course, you, as you became hugely successful, even world-famous, you remember all of that, and that's why you've given back in such a dramatic and impactful way in organizations like America's Promise. It's the Colin Powell Center at the City College of New York. Every time I think about you and those organizations, I think that somewhere in the back of your mind, you must be thinking, there's a Colin Powell out there somewhere. <laughs> and I need to make sure that they have the opportunities for someone to see that they're capable of leadership despite their circumstances. Absolutely. I spent a lot of time with young kids who are coming along, especially minority kids. And people ask me what I'm doing in my, quote, retirement. And I said, you know, uh, I, I can't relive the past, so I don't waste a lot of time with that. I can watch the present, but the only thing I can still influence is the future, and the future that is our children's to have. So I spent a lot of time with kids. I've got 11 schools named after me across the country, uh, elementary and middle schools. I have the City College of New York Powell School. And nothing gives me greater satisfaction than to visit one of these schools, especially the Powell School, and sit out in front of school and talk to the kids as they're coming by and to hear their stories. And almost all their stories are the same kind of immigrant story that was my story. And anything I can do to keep them moving up and give them the same chance that I got, I want to try to do. Well, General, Secretary, friend, Colin, thank you so much for having this conversation. And thank you more especially for the character you show in everything you do, the inspiration you provide in everything you do, because I think the world needs more examples of real leaders, true leaders, and how they live their lives and how they spend their time. Thank you, Carly. It's been a delight to be with you again. Thanks. So I know we're going to get to the heavy, meaty work of talking about leadership, but I did want to highlight at the end there something that I really love and that um, I didn't mention in the intro, but I, I do think it's really important, which is just to highlight the real friendship and mutual yes, respect that yes. Carly and and General Powell clearly have for each other. I think you can hear it throughout the conversation, but I, I especially love that last bit where, you know, she talks to him in a respectful way, but at the end she says friend. Uh, I, I love that. I think it is very cool to see two leaders who I hold in such regard and have such deep respect and admiration for have that relationship and that respect and admiration for one another. Yes, and I think that's part of what makes this interview so special in the sense that, you know, as I hear General Powell talk and sort of, really sharing these amazing stories and life lessons through his lived experience, right? And real 
like everyday leadership, you know, you know, examples of things he did, you know, in his everyday walk, you know, as a leader within the military, as a leader, you know, who was secretary of state. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very practical. And the thing is, you know, so you think of General Colin Powell, but it's like, hmm, I can do that. Yeah. Like in my leadership, you know, and I think one thing that stood out was and I kept hearing sort of thinking about our concepts is the concept of humility. Right. Mm-hmm. Because one thing was consistent. It's like, you know, it takes humility like to show up consistently and particularly mm-hmm. to show up um, in places and in spaces within an organization or or community where people didn't expect you because of the title, the privilege, you know, pot title or position that you had. And so thinking about him you know, walking the the garage underneath mm-hmm. the State Department, you know, um, having those conversations, you know, with those um, with those folks who staffed and ran, you know, the garage, uh, you know, and the parking um, and thinking about, you know, the example of him early in his, you know, his career, um, you know, as a military leader and making sure to walk the grounds and being able to talk directly, you know, to the troops and hear the problems, you know, as they were experience as they were experiencing them. And I think, you know, that is a that showing up as a leader and finding ways to not allow yourself. And I think him and Carly talked about like being not allow yourself to be siloed yeah. is so important and so key and so practical for anyone, regardless whether you're, you know, government service, military, private sector, nonprofit, right? Yeah, and I loved his, I loved the garage story. I'm glad you brought it up because I think it is a perfect example of everything you're talking about. First, because it was clear that he was telling that story to share a leadership lesson he had learned by talking to folks who were closest to the problem, as we always talk about. So he went down and said, you guys that interact with employees across the State Department, you know, my team, my very, very large staff and team every day, what what do you think about the folks you work with? How do you make those judgments? You know, essentially, do you have a shortcut in the system? <laughs> and they said, yeah, as a matter of fact, we do. And it's a pretty effective one. Uh, so I loved that because it was kind of this moment where he went. And as Carly always says, this is one thing I love about Carly, frankly, is she's very much a leader who walks the walk. She doesn't just talk the talk. I can, um, you know, attest based on my personal experience, frankly, the joy of working with somebody who really believes and lives what she says. And I think what we heard in that story was that General Powell does the same thing, that he very much adheres to that philosophy and practices it in a meaningful way and then references back to it. I mean, it's interesting that that's one of the stories he chose to share, Mm -hmm. right? He could, he has so many stories of monumental world shaping decisions that he made. And, you know, pretty much one of the first stories he decides to tell is this experience that he had in the parking garage at the state department. Yes. Very telling. And I think it's something about, you know, people who walk, truly walk in leadership, as you say, you know, Carly walks the walk, right? You know, um, that they're looking to they're mirroring their leadership and therefore, you know, mirroring and showing value in others. Right. So That's by, right. you know, actually displaying, you know, the leadership that they hope to unlock in others and that they hope to see in others um, by showing up and engaging, you know, with all levels. Right. These, you know, doesn't matter They're They weren't an undersecretary or even, you know, foreign service. You know, these are folks, you know, parking the cars and managing the parking lot. That's but right. they have such an impact. Right. And play such an important role because they are part of the ecosystem that they also deserve that same level of value and respect. Right. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. 
And I think there was a couple lines at the end that I think also really speak to his philosophy in a way that's deeply aligned with the way that we think about leadership. So he said, um, you know, it's not about being the best. It's about doing your best. And I think that is to me, that is all about leadership is problem solving, right? This is, again, not about title, position, power, appearance. It's not about you, actually. It's about what you do yes. and what your actions and accomplishments um, demonstrate. And again, I think it's sort of, you know, it speaks to, again, sort of some, you know, some traditional foundational um, concepts around leadership and really being that I think may, you know, often find themselves in conflict with sort of present day reality of our digital mobile, mm-hmm. fa- you know, fast moving world where it often is about being the best. It often is about the title of position and how many likes, you know, how many likes you get, you know, how many followers you have, um, you know, what celebrity you got to take a picture with and got access to. And less about actually what are you contributing to? What do you make happen? What are you creating? What are the problems that you're solving, right? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, as usual, there are just endless things that we could say, frankly, about this interview. The conversation was just, uh, I think, so meaningful and compelling. And um, I hope we have an opportunity to continue to explore it. But you want to be respectful of our listeners' valuable time. And so for today... That's all. But you can always check out more episodes online at carlyfiorina.com or on iTunes. Please subscribe so you can get all the latest episodes. And while you're there, please rate us five stars if you enjoy the podcast as much as we do. And give us a review so more people can join our conversations. You can find more information and keep up to date on our new episodes and offers by joining our email list at carlyfiorina.com slash by example. You can also send us feedback there. We really love feedback. We want to hear the stories of the leaders in your community who are solving the problems right in front of them. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Carly Fiorina. Also, go to CarlyFiorina.com to pre-order Carly's new book on leadership. It's fantastic. I've had an opportunity to read it already. It's called Find Your Way, Unleash Your Power, and Highest Potential. And join us next week for a new episode. Jay Billis talks toughness and teamwork. I learned this years ago as a player that, hey man, just because you're just because you're on the same bus doesn't mean you're taking the same trip. That there are a lot of there are a lot of things going on within any organization, and so you can have you can think everything's going great sitting in your seat, and and there there are guys in the back of that bus or at the front of the bus that are taking a totally different trip. Well, well, you may be on a winning streak, but somebody's really struggling. So on behalf of Carly Fiorina, my wonderful co-host Jeffrey my wonderful producer, Eric. I'm Casey Enders, and this is By Example.